0: Welcome to Technology Transfer IP. Technology transfer is the process by which valuable research, skills, knowledge, and technology developed by educational institutions is transferred to industry for development into products and services that will benefit society. From basic patent licensing to promoting startups, entrepreneurship, and industry collaborations while also investing in and managing technology developments. We bring you conversations with the leaders in technology transfer, who will share their stories, including their successes, challenges, and expectations for the future. Here's your host, Lisa Mueller. Hello and welcome. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Matt Garrett, Director of Technology Transfer and Private Partnerships at SLAC National Accelerator Laboratory, a United States Department of Energy national laboratory managed and operated by Stanford University. Matt joined Slack in 2021 and manages the technology transfer strategy and missions operations at Slack, and is the focal point for private industry engagement across the Slack complex. Prior to his role at Slack, Matt worked at two other United States federal laboratories in a technology transfer capacity. At Oak Ridge National Laboratory, Matt served as a commercialization manager Managing intellectual property portfolios and licensing of technologies in areas such as high performance computing, machine learning, and energy efficient building technologies. During his tenure at Oak Ridge National Laboratories, Matt also served as Research Partnerships Agreement Manager, negotiating sponsored research agreements, supporting material science research and development at the laboratory. Matt has also served as Deputy Director for the Center for Technical Intelligence Studies and Research at the Air Force Institute of Technology, where he developed collaborative agreements with industrial and educational partners to advance the research missions of the center. Prior to his work in the federal laboratory system, Matt worked in program management for several research and development contractors, supporting the Department of Defense and the Department of Homeland Security. Matt has a BS in chemistry from Florida State University and an MS in chemistry from the Pennsylvania State University. And with that extremely impressive background, welcome to the podcast, Matt.
1: Thank you, Lisa. It's it's a real pleasure and an honor to be here.
0: Well, thank you so much again, Matt, for taking part in the podcast. It's really great to have you here. Matt, I generally like to start the podcast off by asking my guests about their journey to tech transfer. Matt, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you ended up at Slack?
1: Well, uh, it is, as with most things, I think in life, I think a lot of times you stumble upon things by accident. And uh, I think my journey in the tech transfer was one where I just stumbled into it and have, uh, it, it's been a real amazing journey actually. I started out uh, after graduate school, I, after a few years in the semiconductor industry, I joined a startup in Cambridge, Massachusetts uh, uh, in the mid 2000s uh, that had licensed some intellectual property from MIT from the uh, professor at the department of chemistry and uh they had developed a material there that was uh a fluorescent polymer that was sensitive to uh when it would interact with uh, materials that were high explosives and in the mid-2000s that was of great interest uh for uh you know trying to find improvised explosive devices uh the ramp up of security and airports to find, uh, really bad things. So, uh, that was my first journey, I think, in sort of the realm of startups that had licensed technology and sort of participated in tech transfer. Uh, in 2012, I moved from the Boston area to become a contractor for the air force research lab in Dayton, Ohio. And then eventually I joined, uh, joined the federal lab as a staff member, uh, in Dayton, Ohio, at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base uh, to be part of the Air Force Institute of Technology. Uh, It's one of two of the graduate institutions in the military academy system. Uh, The other one's a Naval Postgraduate School in Monterey, California. Um, And I was deputy director at at AFIT, as it's colloquially known, uh, for one of the research centers there. And one of the missions of that research center was to engage with the local defense contractor community on collaborating in areas such as, you know, standoff detection, you know, uh, imaging, et cetera. And that was where I got my first foray into how the federal labs collaborate with industry, uh, through tech transfer. Uh, I was able to execute some collaborative research and development agreements, creatives as they're known, which is a common, uh, mechanism, uh, that we're allowed to use to exchange information, uh, in the department of defense, you know, system and, uh, I was able to do that. And a lot of that I started that because, you know, it was there was a need and we needed to work with some industry folks. Um, uh, A few years after that, I ended up taking on a uh, tech transfer position and a partnerships position at Oak Ridge National Laboratory. And that was where I got my uh, education on how a different department within the federal system engages with industry. And the DOE uh, labs uh, are very unique on how they do things, and they have a long history of, of engaging with uh, industry on transitioning technologies from the labs, from the federal labs, to uh, U.S. companies. So I started learning how, more about how that process works, uh, you know. And then last year I took on uh, uh, the position at, at Slack as director of tech transfer and private partnerships.
0: Well, I think that's a good segue, Matt. For those of our listeners who may not be familiar with SLAC or the U.S. Department of Energy National Laboratories, can you tell us more about it as well as the types of research that take place there?
1: Sure. Um, So uh, the Department of Energy has uh, 17 what they term national laboratories, which are located across the country um, many people probably are aware of how they got started, but if you don't, uh, they were, they were, uh, they were basically started, uh, initially as a result of activities that happened during the Manhattan Project during World War II. Um, places like Los Alamos, uh, you know, Sandia, Oak Ridge, uh, these were places where, uh, many of the activities that were related to the development of the nuclear bombs that were developed and materials that were, nuclear materials that were processed to sort of create that, um. Following World War II, the facilities were ceded over to civilian control under what was known at the time as the Atomic Energy Commission. And eventually, during the 1980s, they were collected into a much a different entity uh, called the Department of Energy. Um, each of the labs have sort of a unique set of missions and technology areas. Uh, there's energy efficiency and renewable energy some focus on. Uh, there's national and homeland security, basic energy sciences, nuclear physics, and high energy physics. So... There's sort of a range of fundamental sciences where people are looking at subatomic particles of matter and trying to, you know, winning Nobel prizes as a result of it. And there's folks that are doing large scale, uh, energy efficiency, renewable energy demonstration projects. So it's a really broad, broad base set of, of things. Uh, Slack, uh, it's, S L A C it stands for uh, the Stanford linear accelerator center. And it was stood up in the 1950s and sixties, uh, The idea was that they wanted to build uh, a very large, what's called a particle accelerator, uh, to uh, use that to discover uh, what the components of of the different parts of the atom are. Uh, It was a two and a half mile long linear accelerator that they constructed on the west side of Stanford's campus. Uh, And uh, to this day, uh, Interstate 280, which goes along the west side of Silicon Valley, it drives right over it.
0: Oh, wow. That's wild.
1: Yeah. They discovered things such as quarks, uh, which many people know about. Uh, There were three Nobel prizes that were resulted over the span of about 30 years uh, for work in high energy physics uh, at this facility and the Stanford Synchrotron Research Laboratory, SSRL, which is uh, an X-ray source that's on site there. Um, They sort of pivoted missions in the 80s for this linear accelerator uh, and in 2009, they were able, to, over the span of about 10 to 12 years, uh, build what was called essentially the first free electron X-ray laser. So imagine if you have particles coming off a particle accelerator and another angle to those particles coming off X-rays actually are emitted. So they, they, they theorized in the 1970s that you could actually collimate those X-rays uh, into a essentially uh, collimated source or what would be an X-ray laser. Uh, turned on in 2009. Uh, the amazing thing about some of these facilities is that they plan them out, but they don't have the technologies to actually make them occur yet. So I'll talk a little bit more about this later on, but you know, it's like NASA did during the Apollo mission. They had to invent so many things to actually uh, complete their mission. And so uh, part of these facilities and some of where the tech transfer mission comes in is how do we take those amazing innovations and find maybe a dual use in industry to, uh, to sort of commercialize it. So... Um, and so, uh, you know, there's a number of things that have been developed as a result of these facilities, like like the LCLS coming online, uh, some novel X-ray detection systems, some X-ray detectors that have won an R&D 100 finalist awards, uh, uh, AI machine learning algorithms, uh, you know, and uh, also by miniaturizing some of the components of the linear sort of uh, particle accelerators, you can actually create compact RF sources, which can be used in a number of environments, such as uh, targeted proton therapy uh, and uh, further applications in 5G and 6G communication. So, um, so these facilities are great, but, you know, there's, you know, a lot of people ask, well, what can you do with them? You know, you have a lot of x-rays. So, a lot of our scientists uh, from around, you know, in the United States and around the world come to these facilities to look at uh, materials primarily or processes. So, Uh, You know, that could be, you know, for example, how do we take a a battery uh, and put it, you know, operate it, actually basically plug it in, have it being charged or discharged and see what's happening on the atomic scale with the materials with the battery. Um, You know, how do we, uh, you know, look at how we 3D print materials, for example, uh, and see what's happening on the material scale, the atomic scale, such that we can uh, possibly make improvements that will Either reduce the carbon footprint of 3D manufacturing or, you know, make better ways to uh, come up with a new energy storage solutions. So, um, but yeah, we Slack has been traditionally, you know, looking, you know, at fundamental science and physics from the point of view of how do we create these facilities. It's a lot of, you know a lot of hardcore, you know, fundamental physics. But um, typically the interests have been aligned with, you know, open science and academic publications pre- traditionally. And, uh, you know, Stanford is well known for that uh, being, you know, open science is a big is a big key to, you know, part of their mission space. So um, as Slack's mission as a DOE National Lab as part of Stanford has evolved over time, uh, and as the messaging from the Department of Energy, which I think everybody is seeing uh, in the news, uh, the message that we've heard from the secretary is deploy, deploy, deploy. Uh, we, with the oncoming, you know, impacts of climate change, uh, we, industry engagement is becoming more and more important to the national labs and has a much higher visibility now. So that's, that's sort of where I've been able to come into the picture and try to see how we can capture the innovations, these amazing innovations that are evolving at our national labs. And, uh, and work with industry to try to have some commercial impact.
0: So Matt, that was really fascinating. And I think that's a great segue to my next question. Can you tell us a little bit about tech transfer at Slack, including how many people are on your team?
1: Sure. So um, the, the the Department of Energy National Labs uh, have a unique way of operating, I think, that are different than many of the other federal labs, uh, they use a model which is called the government-owned contractor-operated model. It's called GOCO. Um, so I technically am an employee of Stanford University. I'm actually not a federal employee. Uh, I work under what's called a management and operating contract, an m and contract, where the Department of Energy has a contract with Stanford to operate Slack on behalf of the Department of Energy. Um, so that creates an interesting you know, there's a lot of processes and it makes in tech transfers kind of unique in how these GoCo labs, uh, operate. So, um, and if you delve down even further, uh, the university, you know, being affiliated with Stanford or part of Stanford, which I think everyone would agree is probably one of the premier tech transfer offices in the world. Uh, me being at Slack, how do I accomplish the mission for the department of energy specifically, uh, uh, at Slack? So, um, we leverage a lot of resources from Stanford to make this happen. Uh, so I have an office that's technically within the Slack envelope called the Office of Technology Transfer and Private Partnerships. Um, I lead what's phrased the Technology Transfer Mission at Slack. So I, you know, I basically say I'm the pin point point person with the DOE on how how we operate things within Slack specifically. Uh, I work a lot on entrepreneurship training. Uh, how do we train uh, our career scientists, our early career scientists and scientists who has been there 30 years on how to uh, be entrepreneurial and maybe not in the sense of entrepreneurship being uh, starting your own businesses or taking trans-technologies tech out of lab, being an inventor-led lab, but um, how do we uh, take an idea that you have and run it through, you know, sort of the value proposition process. How do you come up with a value proposition for your technology? And how do you communicate that? That's a very, you know, those are skills I think that uh, a lot of scientists uh, when they're in university, uh, at least when I was in grad school many years ago, that's not something you're really taught. And so uh, through classes and programs like the i program, and uh, we have our own satellite i program here at, Stan- at, at Slack, which we've been running for the last couple of years. Uh, through the national DOE Energy I-Corps program as well, where our scientists, if they go through our process at Slack, can actually participate in that. uh, You you learn a lot of skills uh, that will benefit you not only, uh, you know, in communicating with industry, but also communicating with your government program managers for funding and ideas. So... um, so I, I do a lot of industry engagement as well. I, I'm the sort of the point person for uh, private industry engaging with Slack uh, to try to find uh, ways that we can collaborate with industry. Uh, there's another office within Slack called the Proposal Advancement Office, and those are the folks that sort of manage the uh, what we call sponsored research agreements. So uh strategic partnership projects, which are sort of a fee-for-hire arrangement where someone can uh, pay us to do work on their behalf. Uh, and those are the folks that do uh, all the compliance and negotiation agreements uh, that you would normally have. And uh, Susan Stimpkins, who, who runs that office, she's she's amazing. She's a former contracting officer for the Air Force, so uh, she's she's just awesome. We also work very closely uh, from the IP side of things with the Stanford Office of Technology Licensing, like I just mentioned. They are the folks that, uh, when invention disclosures come from Slack, they evaluate the inventions. Uh, They decide, they make the decision whether or not to elect title and pursue uh, either a patent or for uh, some of the copyrightable works like software. They're the ones that uh, sort of engage in that process and register things with the U.S. Copyright Office if it's something that uh, we want to protect as a a copyrightable software uh, embodiment. So um, part of my so those are sort of the three offices that sort of work together to, to accomplish the mission. I work with the, uh, the Department of Energy's Office of Technology Transitions. Uh, they engage with all 17 DOE national labs and help support us in our mission to, uh, engage with industry and engage in tech transfer. Um, one thing I think that makes the national labs very unique in the tech transfer realm is some, is these large facilities that I just mentioned, such as SSRL and LCLS, um, these are termed by the Department of Energy as what's called user facilities. Um, so these are world-class, unique facilities that don't really exist. Many of them don't exist anywhere else in the world. And we engage in a lot of agreements with scientists, institutions to come and access these facilities. Some of them are actually uh, subsidized by the DOE, uh, where you can come, you know, you, you basically send in a proposal uh, on an experiment you'd like to perform. Uh, if it's accepted, you can come and visit, uh, you know, Menlo Park and Slack, and uh, you know, and basically run your experiments. The, the key thing, though, is we have these agreements called non-proprietary user agreements, where as a result of you coming there, you agree to publish all your results to the outside world. So it's it's very almost an academic thing. However, we uh, do engage a lot with private industry. Industry comes in and wants to, uh, and this is very popular with the pharmaceutical industry and other folks. To come in and they want to, uh, for example, go to the synchrotron light source and do some X-ray crystallography on some potential precursors that they want to go forward with for for targeted therapies. So uh, we engage in proprietary user agreements with those entities that allows them the protection of not having the requirement to publish their data, but they do it for a fee. Uh, which they pay for supporting, they pay to support, uh, you know, the staff that helps maintain the facility, et cetera. So, so, I think that's where, if you look at the university tech transfer landscape, that's a very unique part of the national lab system where we have these taxpayer funded facilities that people can come in and use. And then the, the data rights that come along that you have to manage or protect, but depending upon the situation, if it's subsidized or not, uh, it sort of rolls into the tech transfer mission.
0: Very interesting. And, and Matt, you mentioned entrepreneurship. So I wanted to ask you, could you share with us some of the initiatives around entrepreneurship at Slack?
1: Sure. Yeah, I mentioned uh, I-Corps. Um, we're very fortunate to be Slack to be affiliated with Stanford with regard to I-Corps. Uh, many of you probably know Steve Blank. Steve was the pioneer and essentially worked with the NSF many years ago to stand up the i program. And it's now uh, proliferated across the country. Uh, Slack. Uh, we were able to get funding from uh, the Office of Technology Transition at (DOE) to offer a local Slack-specific ICOR Lite, as I call it, program. It's not the full, uh, you know, uh, you know, lean launchpad program that that Steve Blank has come up with for for the NSF, but it, it gives sort of an eight-week course that people can sort of take an idea, workshop it. Interview people, go through the customer discovery process. And then at the very end, you, you, you come up with something that is a vetted, polished idea with a value proposition. Uh, and it goes back to that communication piece I was talking about earlier. It teaches you skills on, you know, how to cold call people and say, Hey, I got an idea. What do you think? And then it teaches you how to listen. And then, you know, all these little critical skills that I think uh, are necessary to be successful. Um, and then uh, as a result of participating in that program, you have the opportunity to participate in the national program, like I mentioned before, the, uh, the DOE Energy I-Corps program. Uh, we were fortunate enough in our first cohort to have a team of two scientists that had come up with a, an interesting concept on modeling uh, the resiliency of the electrical grid. And basically, how do you model, uh, you know, what happens when a forest fire or hurricane comes through to your electrical grid? How do you model how you redistribute the load in the event that, you know, one of these events happens? So they've come up with a whole value proposition for that. Um, they're working with a, uh, a company in the Bay Area on, you know, mentoring them on how they would refine this. And they applied to the national program and, and got in. So uh, it's they've been they just graduated from that program a couple weeks ago. And now they're, uh, they're looking about how, how do they stand this idea possibly as a, uh, as a company. So, uh, and this was all from our first program. So I'm, I'm really excited. I, we, our second program is going to be starting, uh, in July. Uh, we already have about, uh, maybe three teams that have committed to participate and we're trying to get more. Uh, so, and this is, this has been a, uh, the lab director, Chi Chang Kao, uh, at, at Slack has been a really, really strong advocate for this, uh, because, again, uh, as we've heard from uh, the secretary and the Department of Energy, if this is a uh, this is a this is a real thing. We, we really need to uh, if we're going to be able to deploy technologies from the lab, we need to be able to uh, uh, help give the skills or provide the skills to our researchers to be able to communicate with industry.
0: Well, switching gears a little bit, Matt, I wanted to ask you about external partners, whether they're corporate partners and or the government and the role they play in tech transfer at Slack. Can you give us some examples of some relationships you have with some external partners?
1: Absolutely. We've been, you know, obviously being located in the Bay Area, we're very fortunate that we have an ecosystem that we can uh, work with that allows us to uh, find a number of partners that want to work with us. One that we've cultivated with Toyota uh, over a number of years, Uh, the Toyota Research Institute is located in Palo Alto. And they have had a, a long-time relationship with some of the battery researchers uh, at Stanford. Uh, one of the things they're interested in trying to figure out with their the Prius batteries, essentially the hybrid battery platform, is how, when you manufacture these batteries, how can you uh, basically ensure when they come off the assembly line that they're good? It's actually a really hard problem um, because, uh, you know, there's a battery you know batteries are very complex pieces of you know apparatus right there there's cells there's electrolytes there's there's all kind of components and so how do you qualify that more importantly over time how do you measure the efficiency and the health of a battery okay especially as these things are going to be proliferated across the country with the electrification of the vehicles that are going on right now so Uh, We developed in collaboration with Toyota Research Institute at SLAC, we developed a battery informatics laboratory to where we have been able to develop machine learning algorithms that can identify the health of a battery. And more importantly, they're able to be predictive. So they're able to, you're losing some of the machine learning algorithms they've created over time and just collecting an enormous amount of data and by charging and discharging the battery, they can tell you when it's going to fail, essentially, or have be close to telling you when it's going to fail, or predict a really bad event. And that has some enormous consequences. Uh, if you think about, uh, you know, you, if you have a battery in your electric vehicle, you, you know, the sensor will tell you, oh, it's going to fail. You know, that's that's going to that's a problem. We should go into the service, you know, our service department and have it changed out. But as the energy solutions get larger and larger and we start distributing storage across the country, and you start putting storage solutions into much larger and larger pieces of equipment, predicting when things are gonna fail becomes a bigger value proposition.
0: Absolutely, yeah. What
1: it, it's one thing if you have a Prius that's $30,000, you go in and change out a part, but if you have a $50 million uh, piece of equipment that has some storage and it's sitting off by itself, being able to see when that's going to fail is becomes a bigger deal for companies. So, so this is where I think our, uh, you know, this is where I think this becomes the value of this becomes really key. And there's a lot of other labs working on this, but we've, we've cultivated this relationship with Toyota because they've, they've been the leaders, uh, in, in battery storage with hybrid vehicles for many, many years. And, um, it's, it's been a great relationship.
0: Yeah, that was fascinating. And and I'm curious, I wanted to ask you about um, some of your biggest success stories. It certainly sounds like those collaborations with external partners have been extremely successful, but I was wondering if you could share some other success stories, whether it's successful technology, startups, partnerships, whatever else you'd like to share.
1: Sure. Um, so uh, the the linear particle accelerator technology, which is the, the heritage technology, I think, of Slack since its inception, um, there's been a number of efforts to redesign or change the form factor of these technologies to make it something that you could actually put in uh, something that's more consumable or some commercial product. Um, one of the things we've worked on with the Stanford School of Medicine and with a startup called Tiberay which was uh, partially an inventor led startup from a professor at Stanford and who is also a scientist at Slack is how do you take these compact accelerators, which can generate particles, you know, and uh, essentially come up with a more targeted way to deliver proton therapy. Uh, Currently, when you go in for, to get proton therapy, you're in this very large piece of apparatus and the amount and the sort of forms factor that they are applying this in is very large. Imagine you could uh, with a compact accelerator uh, dose in a very localized spot for less than a second. That's the sort of you know value proposition I think that's coming out of this type of technology is that you're able to be more targeted, much lower dose uh, and hopefully come up with better outcomes in the end, uh, and possibly, uh, reduce, you know, reduce the amount of energy and the the footprint of your instrument. So, uh, this has been a good success story. They've licensed a number of the, uh, patents that have come out of this from, from Slack and from Stanford for this company. And, uh, they have been working with, uh, Varian and some other, uh, large instrument manufacturers on how do they, take these concepts and scale them and come up with something demonstrable and uh, take it to the marketplace.
0: Well, Matt, with great success also comes challenges. So what would you say are your office's two biggest challenges?
1: Well, um, you know, I work every day, I work with some very, very, very smart people. And I think that's one of the privileges of being uh, a director of tech transfer at a national lab. You're working with some of the greatest minds in the country. Um, That, as I said earlier, you know, many of these scientists and engineers, when they're going through graduate school and they're starting out their careers, um, this is not the realm of patents and intellectual property, copyrights, how to work with industry is not something that folks are really being taught. That's changing a lot, though. I think in the last 10 to 15 years in universities, that's really changing because in the popular media, you're seeing you know, the Facebooks and, uh, folks that are coming, you know, taking things from universities and the industry and career. people, people really are seeing that and want to be a part of that. Um, and so that's, uh, the big challenge has been, how do you teach them the mechanics and the, you know, the the bits and pieces of how it all works. Uh, uh people don't really understand the process of, you know, patent prosecution and invention disclosures. They don't understand that. And so, part of my role has been educating staff on what is a patent? What is a copyright? Uh, what is an invention disclosure? What's the timeline uh, for, you know, when we have to elect title to a patent, to, to an invention per the department of energy rules. And then, you know, what is a provisional patent? What's a non-provisional patent? You know, these are things that, you know, a lot of people uh, have, don't have a lot of awareness on. So I've been educating people, not only because it's it's really good information for them to know, but it helps them, helps them be strategic. It helps them be strategic on, who they communicate with, uh, because, you know, universities, it's, they want to talk to everybody. They want to go to conferences and everything. But, uh, if, you know, if you disclose things and talk to people while things are in invention disclosure phase, they need to understand what the implications of that are. So it helps them be strategic on what they want to do. I think that one of the other things, the challenges is sort of, uh, you know, catalyzing the engagement of staff, um, you know, like I said, I mean, being as part of a university, the traditional path is to you know write a grant and publish a paper. Uh, but uh, and that's something they're very comfortable with. I think a lot of folks uh, that are scientists just starting, they 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 sort of understand what working in with industry is, but they're not really comfortable. They feel like they don't have the skills, or they're it's just not for them. And I've I've sort of tried to engage with them one on one to say, hey, this is this is an alternate path that you can take. It's not. I don't think it's any. Uh, in, in our realm, where we're doing much in some areas, very applied science and very applied research, it's uh, it's it's a it's a path that has a lot of opportunity uh, if you want to engage in it. And so I, I've been, you know, having one, a lot of one-on-one conversations with people that have questions and uh, and just building relationships. And then I think the final thing is 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 really just educating the public. Um, you know, Slack stands for like I said, Stanford Linear Accelerator Center, and when uh, the public engages with Slack. They're like, "Oh, all you guys do is uh, do fundamental physics that has no application to society." And I'm and, uh, going back to what I talked about earlier. It's like that may be true, the final embodiment of this big facility, but the innovations that it takes to build one of those things have an enormous amount of industrial impact if they're leveraged. You know, like I said, the AI, machine learning algorithms, the uh, uh, you know the the X-ray detectors, uh, the optics that are used to sort of bend and columnate the x-rays, there's, there's a lot of application industry that are po- that's possible from that. So I think that's been a process is just educating industry on what we have and sort of getting out there and talking to folks. And uh, we've had a lot of great successes from that. And it's it's we're sort of building momentum on that right now.
0: So Matt, I wanted to ask you, um, what organizations are you involved in? Things like Autumn, LES, and what value do you think they add?
1: So... I think they added an immense amount of value. Um, you know, primarily because you are able to engage in an ecosystem with uh, your fellow tech transfer uh, members. The, 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 that ecosystem, I found to be extremely rewarding, um, and it's it's really good to hear. And, and the other thing is that in in these in these uh, organizations, I think people are very willing to sort of share what works best for them. And so I've been able to gain a lot of things uh, and ideas that I've been able to leverage at Slack. I think so. So I, yeah, I participate in LES. I've, I've in my time at Oak Ridge, I've participated in webinars and panel discussions on behalf of um, on behalf of uh, you know behalf of the lab there. I've also uh, you know participated in Autumn. And uh, the the great thing about the Department of Energy national labs is that we have our own ecosystem of tech transfer uh, that that we uh, and communities of practice that we engage in. One is called the Technology Transfer Working Group. It was actually set up uh, and mandated as part of the uh, uh, federal legislation probably about six or seven years ago. But uh, the goal of it is to essentially create a uh, working groups of practice amongst different components of the tech transfer mission. Things like uh, licensing agreements, how do you, or agreements in general. or uh, outreach and education, or uh, marketing, or uh, you know uh, career development. Uh, these are these are things that all of the 17 national labs would send representatives to these groups of practice, and they're able. You're able to make contacts across the entire lab system and get educate yourself on how other labs are doing things, and maybe get some practices that you can take home to your lab. Um, The other uh, organization that I participate in is something called the National Laboratory Tech Transfer Council. This is uh, a group that serves the National Laboratory Directors Council. Uh, So there's one representative from each of the national labs and we are able to provide guidance and uh, insights and advice to the national lab directors on the tech transfer mission, where it's going, uh, and things that we think would be good to know and improve upon. the National Lab Directors Council uh, in, engages with the Department of Energy regularly, and uh, we are able to provide a voice for this particular part of the lab's mission to that organization. Um, as you expand the lens outward, uh, all of the federal labs across the entire uh, you know federal lab system have a organization that they belong to called the Federal Laboratory Commission. So this invo- this is labs from you know the Department of Energy, the Department of Defense agriculture, uh, you know, NIH, uh, commerce, so NIST, folks from NIST belong to that. And uh, that they tend to meet uh, in regional groups, uh, as well as in national meetings. And we discuss, uh, you know, there's educational opportunities at these meetings, but we discuss again, you know, how the federal labs are engaging in the tech transformation, and you're able to you know, talk to different colleagues, see what they're working on. And uh, that's been very, very beneficial for me because uh, they have a lot of educational initiatives. They recently signed an agreement with Autumn, so where they are working with Autumn on uh, doing not only helping staff development within the federal laboratories, but also coordinating with the national meetings as well. So, And then uh, finally, to sort of plug the Bay Area, uh, the, we did a pilot project with uh, the, the three of Slack and the three other uh, Bay Area national labs that have footprints in the Bay Area, we created uh, sort of a sort of a front door to the national labs. We call it called the Bay Area Laboratory Innovation Networking Center or LINK. Um, oh, during you know over the past year and a half, we've been able to present ourselves to the Bay Area community and and nationally as a way for industry to engage with the national labs and learn about how to engage with them. Because as many people sort of the perception is right now that national labs can be hard to work with. There's all these like rules and regulations you have to follow. And we, you know, offer ourselves as a, as like we say, a front door so that companies can engage with us. And in this realm of, you know, deploy, 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 as I mentioned earlier, uh, and the CHIPS Act and microelectronics all these high profile uh, areas where the federal government is really investing in science and technology. um, We're able to say, Hey, this is what the national labs can, how the national labs can help you when you're wanting to engage uh, or, or solve problems that you have. And that's been really, really successful. We're hoping to sort of take it past the pilot and do another phase of this. uh, But it's been a real, it, we've had a lot of positive engagements. Uh, two things that we focused on, I think, uh, initially were quantum, which I think is uh, we had there's five quantum uh, research centers that the DOE has stood up across the the country that are managed by the national labs. So uh, you know, industry wants to understand what is what is quantum, you know, how where is it going, how how can we work with you, and then the other has been microelectronics, I think, and we 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 had a, a an online sort of you know virtual event for that during the pandemic when it was much more, you know, everybody was sort of closed off, but there it was, we, re- we had some really uh, really big thought leaders from across industry and the labs come in and sit on and have panels to sort of talk about what the benefits of working with the national labs are in this space. What, what are the capabilities they have and how can you engage? So uh, I think it's been really successful.
0: Well, Matt, I generally like to close the podcast by asking my guests, if you could have any three wishes granted or a vision realized for your office, what would that be?
1: This is, that's a fascinating question. I
0: You can't have more wishes. I get that a lot. You can't <laughs> have more wishes. Sorry. I have to draw the line somewhere.
1: I have to draw the line. There's so many things. Yes. But um The things that come to mind for me, uh, if you could sort of bend them, is uh, how do I sort of have to do with internal engagement and then external engagement as an office? I guess Um, the first is uh, when I when I presented my vision to the senior management team, when I was brought on the slack, uh, you know, I talked about this idea of being entrepreneurial. We talk about uh, entrepreneurialism. You know, is sort of everybody knows what that means. It's like you're agile, you're you're able to like, you know, think outside the box and, you know, bootstrap everything. And but not many people, you know, think about what sort of skills you need when you're in a large organization. How do you be agile and move through that, gain momentum and and uh create successes for yourself. And so that takes actually a different skill set. And I, I came across this concept when I was reading an article in the Harvard Business Review a couple of years ago. And so part of my role is that I would like to create this entrepreneurial culture at Slack because we are a national lab. We're a big organization. We have a couple thousand people. We have a lot of students that come in. So it's a pretty big facility, relatively speaking. But uh, it can be a challenge. You know, the Department of Energy. We're under a management operating contract with the Department of Energy. Uh, there are regulations we have to abide by to make sure that we are utilizing taxpayer dollars in a most prudent and, and good way. And so, having a cultivating skills that allow you to navigate that, I think I would love to help create that culture to where people can be be successful. Um, I think the second thing. Uh, is that uh, I really see the technology transfer community as being a model for demonstrating how our laboratories and how engaging with industry, we can basically demonstrate ourselves to be a leader in being diverse, equitable, and inclusive. Um, it's been a big priority for me, uh, and uh, I've basically tried to talk to my uh, tech transfer, uh, other directors. We, we really feel that this is an opportunity we have right now to, uh, you know, how do we engage with companies that are, you know, minority owned? Uh, how do we engage with, uh, you know, universities and other, other groups to sort of grow a more diverse and inclusive tech transfer community of practice practitioners, you know, uh, you know, when I when I was in, you know, starting out, you know, as a scientist doing contract research for, you know, folks, uh, I didn't know that this this ex- actually existed as something to do, right? I didn't know that this was like a thing. And I, I can only imagine that people in underserved communities, people that, uh, you know, have not had the experiences I have may not know that this is an option for themselves. And so if I can reach out to uh you know students who come from you know historically underserved communities that say hey this is a path for you uh i, I want to do that um and i think finally uh i would love to you know being in the bay area you know we've been the recipient of many of the innovations that come out of industry sort of get deployed in the art the, in the bay area a lot of times or on the coasts, but they're uh you know, there are a number of communities across the country. You know, climate change is global. It's not just on the coast, right? (laughs) It's happening everywhere. And we need to make sure, I think, that the innovations that come out of the labs benefit the entire country. And so uh, the Biden administration came out with an initiative called the Justice 40 Initiative, not long after the Biden, the the administration came in. And that policy, the gist of it says that 40 percent of the impact of all federal funding towards, you know, advancing technology science, 40% of the benefit has to go to underserved communities. And so how do we as tech transfer offices make that happen or facilitate or make that happen? We need to be able to reach out beyond the normal community that we engage in to find areas to, you know, that we can deploy our technology. We need to make sure that electric vehicle charging stations are everywhere. We need to make sure that, you know, people have access to solar, you know, they have access to uh, you know any sort of technologies that come out of the lab. They need to make sure that they're deployed everywhere. And so uh, this is something I think uh, you know, place-based innovation is something that has been a sort of a buzz phrase that's been going around over the last couple of years after the now that this policy's come in. How do we uh, be intentional about how we deploy innovation? And we need to make sure that We don't just go to the same places that we have been. We need to basically ensure that it's going everywhere. And so um, that's that would be a great vision of mine. If we could demonstrate some impact from Slack's tech transfer office and align ourselves with that initiative and have some great impact, that would be great.
0: Well, Matt, I can't thank you enough for all your insights and time today. This has been an absolute pleasure. If any of our listeners want to reach out and ask you any questions, where can they reach you?
1: Uh, they can reach me at my email address, mgarrett at slack. s l a c. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, you can also go to uh, partnerships at slack. stanford. edu, uh, and uh, uh, I'll be happy to chat with you and engage with you, and uh, we can learn how ways that we can work together.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much again, Matt. It's been really great to have this opportunity to talk to you.
1: Lisa, thank you. It's been a real honor.
0: Thank you for listening to Technology Transfer IP. Please visit us online for more resources at techtransferipforum.com. New to Tech Transfer or a seasoned pro? Autumn is the global member organization for Tech Transfer. And is here to help you get
1: connected get smart and get ahead whether you work in academia research government business development corporate engagement or startups autumn is dedicated to supporting you through education advocacy networking and promotion join and you'll receive 20 free live webinars as well as meaningful discounts on meetings and courses insider access to a vast network of colleagues to help you through challenges and align on new technologies and the university decision makers who license them. Membership is open for 2023. Join us.